0: Welcome to Sacrifice and Success, a podcast that looks at what we give up in order to thrive. I'm John Hegarty, chairman of Soho-based independent media agency Electric Blue. In this series, I'm talking to people from the creative industries about what they have sacrificed to be where they are today. With me today is Andy Osho, actor, writer, producer, and podcast host. From an early age, Andy forged her own path in the entertainment industry, not letting herself be pigeonholed into any one area, and is now firmly established as a versatile entertainment personality. The most recent string to her bow being a published author with her debut novel, Asking for a Friend, released earlier this year. Andy. Hello. First of all, fantastic meeting you. Wonderful to see you. We're doing this over Zoom because, as we all know, there's this terrible pandemic. So rather than me sitting in a room with Andy, I'm having to do it with uh, digital technology. But it's brilliant whatever way we do it. So, Andy, this is all about what you have to sacrifice uh, to succeed. Mm. And, and I always like to start with a question, of what have you sacrificed today?
1: Wow. Oh, that's a good um, question. Uh, today, I've sacrificed being in the sunshine. Oh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: now you make me feel really bad. No, I mean,
1: <laughs> I, I do it a lot. But um, yeah, I, I mean, when you say sacrifice, I mean, i am it's a choice, isn't it? Uh, hopefully, anyways, it's a choice. I've chosen to do what I'm doing today. And I had another job, a voiceover, basically, earlier. So I had to be in for that as well. So... That's just the oh, breaks. Hopefully there'll stuff, be more but, than one sunny day this year <laughs> as yeah. well. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> we're hoping, yeah. But but just to start, and, and looking at, uh, you were born in East London, uh, in Plaistow, um, and your parents were a Nigerian, came to this country, you were born here. I've always thought, there's a great song, a song I love, and it's called Across the Borderline. It's by Raikuda. Kuda. Uh, the best version of it is, I think, by Willie Nelson. But it talks about, the sacrifices people make to kind of hopefully go for a better life. They mm. leave somewhere, go somewhere else. And I've always admired those people and the gift they give to the country they come to. Mm. Your parents did that. They came here and now here. Do you think there's, there was a sort of benefit you had from having this background Nigerian but yet born in London and, and what that gave you creatively?
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting question because I think there's a lot of people who have a similar background to me and we have, I think, a similar outlook in the sense of our parents came here, first generation, had starting from scratch basically in, in an environment that wasn't always welcoming. You know, if, if I'm honest, like what the what it was like in the UK in the sort of sort of late sixties, early seventies, but they just had this kind of can do spirit that this is going to work, and they their requirement to create security, I think, gave people like me and fellow artists from a similar background a sort of safe platform from which to explore and go oh i don't need to worry so much about security because my parents gave me that that's now brilliant. i can look at yeah now i can look at being something a bit <laughs> more risky like an artist or something <laughs> the other
0: the other great thing i i think too is as a as a creative person because you've pursued a, a creative career is in a way creative people tend to be outsiders looking in mm. and that's part of what makes I think you a better creative person so this sense of you had this Nigerian background you had British friends you were living in a a, a London culture all of those things you could did did you find that you were able to observe much more
1: yeah but if I was I wasn't consciously doing it knowing that it would be useful for a a career in the arts at some point point. I was just feeling like I'm on the outside, (laughs) never quite (laughs) feeling like I fit in or knowing where I belong. Well, you know, I mean, that's just life, isn't it? I mean, I think there's lots of um, us outsiders, you know, but we we just sort of find a tribe. And that's what I did. Certainly at school, I uh, was such a sort of sensitive, sort of odd, crazy, creative kid who wanted homework and loved studying and stuff so i had to find my tribe and the general school body is not really like that so you have to find the people that are so that you can feel a sense of fitting in
0: so so again you you so you didn't have a teacher that kind of you looked to who inspired you or pushed you in Uh, certain directions
1: yeah, I I wish I did. I mean, I hear a lot of people talk about you know that teacher that inspired them and the you know thank you so much, Mrs. Blah 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 for everything you gave me. That's why I'm a writer. It's just like I didn't have that at all. I I I often thought that that was to do with the teachers, but I'm now willing to accept that could have been to do with me not being like a particularly attentive student at the time. So I,
0: I, I'm going to put it down to their loss. Actually. Yes, I it think was I... their
1: big mistake.
0: But but your mother turned out to be a great inspiration to you. And and you talk about her as being this woman who could do great voices and would inspire you. And, and so that was very important to you.
1: Yeah. I, again, it's one of those things that only in later life, I've really started to appreciate. I had a very strong narrative that it was all me. I'm self-created and blah, 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 all that sort of stuff. And it's, as I've gotten older, I've realized that the rock that my mother was, was the firm, foundation that i could stand on and create everything that i have in my life so i'm i'm glad that i've at least at some point in my life started to appreciate that but yeah she's she's massively important and you know she's almost like water to a fish in the sense that it's so important but they don't you don't think of it every day you don't realize it's there you don't realize its significance in your life
0: yes you suddenly become aware of it and you realize how important that yeah. is. And you said she was great at doing impersonations. Do do you have a I, I, you obviously can do. Do you have a favorite impersonation that you do?
1: that i do a mate of mine said uh, when we were writing together he always said whatever impression i was going for sounded like someone else and so i <laughs> tried to do the someone else and he's like now you sound like someone else <laughs> so we'd sort of be playing this sort of impersonation tag thing where i was like oh now do i sound like a obama he's like no it's sort of like oprah or something <laughs> What were you going for? You've gone from Obama to Oprah. That's a kind of good one. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> hey, all encompassing. It does everything. You know?
1: Yeah, well, that's <laughs> what I want to say. I can do an impersonation that you can interpret and make it sound like whoever you want it to be like.
0: That, that's wonderful. But so you left school. I think you went into TV production or, uh, and, and you were sort of behind the scenes and gradually moved. You did stand-up and then became a TV comedian, then actress. So how did that progress work?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, after school, I I wanted to, you know, take my education further and I felt like I wanted to be involved in the arts somehow, but I just didn't have the guts to... Really, just go for it. And some peers went off to drama school, and I just didn't, it just didn't occur to me that someone like me could do something like that. So I went to a place called Ravensbourne, which focuses more on behind the camera stuff. So they taught us how to make TV programs, basically. And so I went into post production. So I worked in editing and, you know, sound post-production and stuff like that, just uh, basically facilitating other people's creativity. So I had an operational job. I wasn't even doing the stuff. I was like organizing and booking in this this type of work. And then it just got to a point where I was feeling like, ah, this isn't enough for me. I love parts of it, but it doesn't fill me up completely. And that's when I decided I wanted to be an actor. Had no clue how to go about doing that. No, didn't know where to start happened to be working with some actors and they gave me some advice. And so I just thought, let me just jump in and see what happens. And then after a few years, it I, it I kind of reached this equilibrium where I was getting little bit parts here and there, but work was starting to dry up and I was spending more time on a reception desk than I was acting. So I thought, what can I do that will give me stage time? will get rid of this stage fright that sort of big gaps between performing were starting to create. And that's where stand-up came in.
0: So oh, I'd already wonderful. been
1: acting like four or five years and it was more out of like necessity and curiosity in a way that made me think, all right, let me just see if that would give me a bit more control over my creative life. So that's yeah. that's why I started doing stand up.
0: Stand up must be the hardest thing in the world to do, literally, because there's no help. There's nobody around you. <laughs> it's just you.
1: How, yeah. how did you find that? Well, you know, <laughs> it was two things. Like I say, it was partly to do with a necessity. I was, I was really experiencing stage fright whenever I was going for auditions, which were becoming, you know, few and far between. And so I just wanted something where I could have a bit of control. And, um, but I also love stand-up and I, I, I thought I could do it. I, I think I'm a funny person, right? I was thinking that at the time. I was thinking, why, you know, why don't I give this a try with no um, thought of what the outcome could be? But the thing is about stand up, I'm realizing having done a few years of it and been, you know, done many of the things that stand ups aspire to do is that we we've got a particular gene or something that makes us want to be there. So when people talk about, oh, it's the most scary thing in the world. Well, yeah, for you, but for us who have this bizarre gene that wants us to ha- experience the possibility of existential death on the possibility that we may actually get loads of love from the audience that are watching us, we, we it doesn't scare us that way. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it. We'd feel the same way about it as everybody else does.
0: I can see another use for gene therapy there. We get the, <laughs> a, a funny gene implanted into us. There's a There's a. Shakespeare said, um, laughter is but sorrow masked. Mm. Is there sorrow in your stand-up? Do
1: you know, um, there wasn't. I mean, I don't do stand up anymore, but so I say it in the past tense, there wasn't. But where I got to by the time I decided that I, my journey with it was sort of complete or done for now, was that the things that were really concerning me, I didn't know how to make them funny. The things that were the things that were of interest to me, I just I couldn't spin it. <laughs> and I remember sort of having, trying I, I wrote this whole page of, of uh, material. And I never write stuff out in long form. I always just write bullet points, but I wrote this out in long form and read it to an audience, and I could just feel them sort of curdling <laughs> under the unfunniness of it. so I was like <laughs> this isn't <laughs> this is not the way to go. Maybe there's another outlet that I'm supposed to use for this for these thoughts, this material that I want to discuss so so your advice to somebody if
0: they're going to do stand up is is be funny and be funny <laughs> is what
1: um you know. <laughs> it's such it's such an obvious thing to say but it's just go for it the, mm. the thing with stand-up that's different from so many other sort of creative pursu- pursuits is that you can't do it at home you you can write at home but you can't know of its success until you perform it in front of an audience you
0: could, so you've got you to could, sacrifice yourself you've got to kind of go I'm just going to get up in front of people and I'm you, going to do it
1: you do, you have to sacrifice you have to sacrifice comfort really and and uh, risk yourself and there's no two ways about it in a way that you just don't have to necessarily with other with other art forms
0: yeah. it's almost kind of it's, it's I'm just thinking about that because it's interesting But you know if you're a sports person you, you 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 practice and that practice and the practice and you get better and better and obviously you get better and better but you don't suddenly go right you've got to step out if you're a tennis player onto the center court at Wimbledon and play you gradually get there you're saying. In a way, and I completely understand that. You've just got to get up there and do it, uh, and that way you begin to really understand it.
1: Yeah, and the, and the interesting thing as well is that and maybe this applies across the board, but that first gig you do can feel like center court straight off, you know. <laughs> so because it's so it's it um you're it's so exposing, or it can feel so exposing. It can feel exhilarating. Some some um comedians just. Th- 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 just uh, just exhilarated by the experience of being in front of an audience but yeah that can be your center court, and there's only like 20 people in the room
0: and it still matters yeah Yeah. can you remember the first time you stood in front of the camera like it was
1: in front of a camera or on
0: yeah to perform
1: um yeah I my first performance on camera was in EastEnders I think that was my first tv job oh wow And yeah, and it was a scene with um, Natalie Cassidy, I believe, is that her name? Yeah, Natalie Cassidy, played Sonia in EastEnders. And yeah, I was just, my mind was blown, just being at Elstree, meeting Wendy Richard earlier and Ian Lavender. And they were like, good luck, Andy. And it's like, they know my name. How do they know my name? It was a pretty special day.
0: (laughs) You've really got to, I mean, again, because this is about sacrifice, but you've got to sort of let so much of your own inhibitions go I always think to be an actor to kind of get in front of the camera to be someone else and to kind of completely lose yourself and become this other person was that was that easy doing that
1: it's been like an ongoing journey for me in terms of learning the craft of acting I didn't do like a three-year drama school thing so I had to learn on the job and that came with a big big dose of imposter syndrome but in terms of sort of you know d- d- diving deep into characters losing myself in them stuff like that that's something that I'm learning to allow myself to do because as an actor we still have hang-ups there's still scenes and moments and things that we're out to do that we just think ah, I feel really stupid doing this so we're just like everybody else in that sense of there's always going to be a thing that someone has you do and you're just like ah, I feel like a wally but all right let me just give it a go but um I think probably our threshold is just a little bit lower than <laughs> other people's. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to ask you now, because there's a huge amount of
0: talk about people from, you know, I, and I don't like sort of saying ethnic minorities. I loathe that phrase. Um, I think we should talk about ethnic necessities, because I think a mix of ethnicity is what adds to creativity. But what would you say to people who come from a, a, a background where it's harder, it seems to get noticed you've done it you've been I would argue a a huge success what advice would you give to somebody who might be listening to this saying I'd like to do what Andy's done but I live in a very deprived area I'm don't get the encouragement what would you say to those people
1: I think um just do it anyway find a way Because if I can do it and, and, you know, without going too much into my sort of family history, there wasn't a lot of money. It was a single parent household in the East End. you know, uh, there are a number of things that one could look at my situation and go, well, you're never going to get that career starting in that place. And actually, I even believe that (laughs) despite the fact that I went for it anyways. So I think whatever your circumstances, there's someone from your from your sort of underrepresented group who is doing it, so take inspiration from them and just do it anyway. That because of um the way that it's like social media is and and what a tool the internet can be, and there's ways to circumnavigate the sort of more formal structures of getting a creative career off the ground, and so you can use that and use that to get what you want rather than feeling like oh the formal routes aren't really available to me. I can't afford drama school, I can't afford art school, or whatever it is. But there's other ways to get your work out there for people to be able to access them and experience your creativity.
0: Believe in yourself.
1: Yeah, don't do what I did. Believe in yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Don't don't (laughs) wait until you're 30 before you make the leap. If you feel it now, just go for it. But also know that it's never too late either. So if you're 40, 45, 50 and you think I've always wanted to try this thing, go for it.
0: How many great actors have won Oscars? in their 70s there are quite oh, a few actually so yeah. remember that yeah it,
1: absolutely it, it, I mean Viola Davis got her Oscar for um, The Help I think she was like 52 and she'd had like 20 year career already and she'd won Tony's and stuff like that but we didn't know her name until The Help
0: yes exactly so it's you're,
1: you're absolutely right it's, it's never too late
0: you're listening to Sacrifice and Success a podcast brought to you by independent media agency Electric Glue. What What is one of the biggest sacrifices you've had to make for your creative work?
1: Well, like I said at the beginning, I think of them more as choices, but they are things that I don't have because I've chosen the life that I have. And so one of them is is family, you know, but I, I feel like that's a partially conscious choice. So it is a sacrifice in the sense that I don't have a life really where I think that could work. I don't think I could Start a family. I mean, it's it's probably a bit late for that now, uh, biologically, but even um, sort of non-biologically, like adopting or something like that, even pets, I feel like mm, I don't think I can commit. <laughs> I just, <laughs> you know, so because I applied for a dog um, for, at Battersea Dogs Home and, and nothing, they haven't, there's been no matches come through and as part of me, it's kind of relieved
0: and and it's it's saying maybe this isn't right for me
1: yeah i mean i do trust those signs like rather than getting patient about it sometimes i do think mm, maybe mm. this is a sign because i could do something about this mm. if it was right but actually nothing's come through and i'm actually living a life that i would have to change to have a dog in you know in this life so maybe this is maybe this is all for the best on both parts you know maybe that dog needs to go somewhere else
0: I mean, creativity is quite a selfish pursuit, isn't it? Because when you're having an idea or you're working on an idea, you can't stop and start. You just have to keep going. I'm, I'm, I'm sure if you're an accountant and you're trying to balance books, and we mustn't have a go at accountants. They're wonderful people. <laughs> but you can stop and start. And lots of things you can stop and start. With creativity, you know, it, it isn't a, a button that you can just turn on. You're, mm. it's, it's there all the time and you've got to do it despite what's going on around you have you found that difficult or do you experience that
1: yeah um, I, I completely relate to that and it is difficult sometimes because I mean someone uh, a friend I was talking to recently used the term workaholic in reference to me and no, no one's ever said that before and it really gave me pause because I was like am I I never, I never thought of myself like that. I thought I just worked hard, or I thought I just really loved what I'm, I'm doing. But actually, you're right. It is almost like this train that's sort of driving through you, like creative thoughts constantly. Like particularly, I remember when I was writing stand up. Sometimes it would get annoying. The jokes that kept coming into my mu- oh gosh, I've got to write that. Down. So I had to sleep with a notebook by my bed, like this constant sort of yammering in my head. <laughs> where sometimes I'd be like, just stop. I just yeah. want to sleep. You know. Um, but yeah so it does get difficult sometimes of like letting go um and allowing balance you know so that there's friends can you know you can spend time with friends and family and just relax and just watch a bit of TV or something um it it that is the challenge i'm in at the moment actually is is starting to bring more balance in and not have everything be about work just because i'm enjoying it doesn't mean i have to do it every single day every hour of every
0: day yeah yeah that is important isn't it because I uh, you know I say to people you know again partly as a creative person you're 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 absorbing all these influences you're absorbing what's going on around you and you know it is that thing that you have to balance that out with kind of time to do it uh, but allow yourself this moment these moments when you're going to overhear conversations you're going to see things and you're going to put that into your performances or whatever it is that you might be doing I love that expression. It's a, creativity isn't an occupation; it's a preoccupation. Mm-hmm. I think it sums that up. You know, yeah, that it, it's you're living it. You know, there isn't, as I said, there isn't an off knob. Um, there are a couple of things I wanted to talk to you about. First of all, line of duty. Now, what's it like being dead? Now you're. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's brilliant. Uh, uh, best job you, I've ever had. Best job. <laughs> <laughs> It must be wonderful to be in that because it's 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 become this um, cultural phenomena line of duty, hasn't it? I mean, it's just sort of I mean, the writing is brilliant and the way it constructs the plots and leads you up garden paths. It must have been wonderful being part of that.
1: Oh, definitely. And, you know, I when when I'm a fan of a show, I have this sort of. Um, ambivalent relationship with auditioning for it because it's like I feel like almost like I don't want to spoil it by being in it <laughs> you know but um uh, when I got the call I was just like obviously I, I want to audition for this and um being in it being seeing the team it's kind of weird because I'm trying not to be like a fangirl but I completely am I've already watched like all uh all the episodes up until the point where I started filming twice <laughs> and, and of course
0: you don't know do you you don't know what the fight you don't know who killed you do you?
1: i i don't and that's the weird thing about it so i'm now watching these episodes like a fan and people are sort of like what's going on andy who did it? who's h who's, h? who's in... it's like, i don't know <laughs> i'm watching it like killed. you guys I'm exactly dead. exactly, <laughs> exactly. I, I don't know if you remember but um <laughs> yeah so so that's that's really fun to be in it and then also to just enjoy it as a fan as as well so i get the best of both worlds for sure isn't
0: that brilliant and and um the other thing, you you have your debut novel. It came out this year, Asking yeah. for a Friend. You know, some people say writing's very difficult. Some people say it's very easy. How did you find it?
1: Gosh, I mean, it's both, really. It, it's easy in the sense of, yes, I, I, I know words. I know how to put them in order, that they make sense and all the rest of it. But it's difficult in the sense of, now, can you put those words in an order that's really good and is going to create an enjoyable read? Do you... um. Do you know what you're doing because when I started I didn't and even now I'm still learning I'm I'm writing another book now and I'm uh, there's so much to learn um and I say it was like one of the hardest creative challenges I've ever had and you know you the, you talk about sacrifice well the sacrifice I had to make for that was that my acting career had to go on hold a few times because I just couldn't reconcile the more immediate demands of like auditioning or going away and filming with the quiet and more still relationship you have to have with your creativity to write a book. Um, And so, you know, acting requires me to be quite reactive. Auditions can come in very last minute, the night before they want it, you know, they want it the following morning. And that was kind of messing with my mind and creating quite a lot of stress. So I had to say at one point, okay, right, I'm not gonna audition. I've got i I've got another edit that I need to do of this, this draft after that, then I'll go back to editing. So that was a sacrifice that had to happen yeah. to me, to, yeah. to be able to realise the book. Otherwise it just would not have existed.
0: And the courage to go, I'm gonna turn that down because I've got to just focus on what I'm writing right now. Yeah. Somebody once said to me and I was talking about writing, because I'm an art director by trade. So I I went to art school and was going to be a painter and all that so i became an art director and we talked about writing and and this frank delaney his name was a great novelist said to me john he said but writing is just describing pictures Ooh. which i thought was a wonderful way of defining it because you, you you know you then have a picture in your head and and write it down like, because we all think visually uh, do you have a process for doing that do you have a process
1: that I've, I really, really love that description because that's exactly what I do. And especially when I get stuck is I visualise for a moment and then just describe it, describe what I'm seeing in my mind's eye. So yeah, I really love that. Um, and then beyond that, in terms of a process, I, I really do need like structure. I thrive best, especially when it comes to writing novels, Like it, <laughs> like I've written loads, like I'm literally doing my second one. But like, having, knowing I'm doing 10 till 1130 and then there's a break and then, you know, have another 90 minute session like that. And knowing that, okay, this day is about chapter X, then it's going to be chapter that that day, then that, then that. I I fly through it and I feel like I'm getting somewhere. I I'm not the sort of person who can just, oh, I feel like writing today or I don't, I've got to plan stuff out. And that really, even though it maybe sounds counterintuitive in terms of like creating, cultivating an environment that brings out your creativity, for me, it, within the structure, that's when, I, when I'm able to thrive.
0: That's interesting, that, isn't it? Because people often, that whole thing about creativity, I often think, somebody once said, I'm cursed by being creative in the sense that you've got, you've always got to get things out of you and, and you're going to get disappointment and you're going to no. get, do, do you find that? Is there is there any sort of, side to it that you, you feel is a, you've been cursed with creativity
1: Ah, oh, that's that's interesting i i would never think of it like that but there are things that come with it that aren't savory you know the tortured
0: like, artist is the yeah, kind of I, right. i'm sort of getting in my brain here yeah
1: constantly comparing oneself to others even though then may often not even comparable um the rejection that we have to experience the criticism the thoughtless comments sometimes that people make about our work or our creativity you know things like that that's all part of being a creative that you wouldn't necessarily want but i suppose those things are necessary and they make the joyful moments more meaningful and more uh you know more appreciated so yeah i mean even though you ideally wouldn't want all that stuff it sort of is necessary to make the sweeter stuff even sweeter
0: it's part of it, isn't it? Yeah. But I, I think that lovely thing of creating something out of nothing. You know, your you, your your first book, asking for a friend. I mean, there it is. There was nothing, and now there is something. And I think that's one of the brilliant things about creativity that that I love. Your it's only your imagination, uh, and that's what made it happen. Tell me a little bit about asking for a friend, because it was that very much you in that story, or
1: oh yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've said to people before: if you read that book you'll know me because there's so much of me in there, not necessarily specifically in terms of events, some events I've taken from my life, but, and, I, and maybe I've changed the details so that I don't get sued, but, um, you know, in terms of like the characters and what they lawyer's do. Lawyer's letters, never good, never <laughs> yeah, exactly. good. And
0: they're not very funny either. They're not exactly very
1: funny. Not a good look. <laughs> I've already uh, ha- preemptively had a lawyer's letter from, um, uh, what do you call it? Not a, well, not a lawyer's letter as such, but a lawyer's email from Cards Against Humanity, because they all seem so fun. And I was like, oh, hey, guys, listen, I'd really love to um, use your game in my next book and stuff. And and they, their, their website's so chipper. And they're like, hey, guys, yeah, just get in touch, blah, blah, blah. And then so I wrote them this email and it was quite a you know little chirpy, funny email. And they were like, absolutely not. You cannot use Cards Against Humanity. You cannot even suggest that Cards Against Humanity is in this book. You cannot use Cards Against Anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I was like, whoa, what happened to, oh, yeah, we're so fun and we just do all these stunts around the world. The
0: lawyers have moved in. <laughs> exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I was like,
1: well, that's the last time I played Cards Against Humanity. So, yeah, so asking for a friend is really um, what the who the characters are is me. Little slithers of me either now or at the age that some of those characters are. So, for example, with Megan, who's very she's the youngest of this trio of friends. She's very um, tells it like it is very forthright. Simi, who's late mid-thirties, she's a love puppy. She just wants to fall in love and she's constantly looking for the one. That's very much who I was at that point. And then the older one, Jemima, who's um sort of early 40s, she's much more closed off, she's much more compartmentalized, and she kind of uh she sees love as not worth the risk. So she cuts herself off from it. And so they're all gonna go, they all have their own Achilles heel when it comes to love, and they're all they all go on a journey to to not not intentionally but they're forced into this journey to to really unearth who they really are and what they really think and feel about love did you find it
0: therapeutic was it like therapy writing yeah i mean about because you are writing essentially a lot of it you're saying is about you
1: yeah i mean uh, well first of all it was just like really fun writing something funny as well, because, because by the time I would started writing the book, I really had already left stand up behind by a couple of years. And so it was really, it was just a nice release to just let the funny out somewhere because <laughs> it, you know, it wants to still find a home, even though I'm not going on stage and performing, it still does want to come out of me in some form. So it was nice to put that in the book. But then what I really wanted to do, and this is why I probably I moved away from stand up is I wanted to say something with it. And so Uh, the middle uh, of the friends who's the one who's 36 her dad left the family home when she was seven and that's what happened to me and through her journey in terms of this dating game that they all go on she starts to see the impact that his absence has had on her and the choices that she makes in her life and as I was writing this for this character I was realizing oh like, really having to look at my own life. Obviously, some i some stuff I'd already realised in relation to my dad. But as I wrote this character out, I was realising more. And then giving it to her as part of her story and a part of her realisation in terms of, you know, what she saw around all of that. So in that respect, I really got something from these characters for my own life.
0: And the courage to expose yourself. You know, it's quite... I admire that, that, you know, I often say to myself, would I, would I expose that bit if I was to write a bit? Would I, we've all got secrets, but I think you have to let go and do it, don't you?
1: Yeah, you do, I think. And, and what I think is really important is to at least have some degree of okayness with it when you do share it, because I I remember doing a storytelling course uh, and the final, I I think we meet for like six weeks and then the final week we all had to tell a story. And one girl told a story where she was clearly not reconciled with the thing, the thing that she was talking about, and it was difficult to watch. So when people share, audiences need them to be at least a degree of okay or okay with their not okayness. Do you know what I mean? Like if it does take you to tears, that you're still you're still present and you're still okay with the fact that it's still it can still move you. But she was falling apart, and it was kind of you don't want to hear the story, you just want to tell her. Like, listen, get to therapy. Are you okay? Do you want a hug? So so the stuff that I've put in the book is basically stuff that I'm okay with. Or if I'm not okay, I'm okay that I'm not quite there with it yet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there, there is a the, the, a great belief that great art has to have truth at its core. Um, otherwise, it's just decoration. It's, mm. It doesn't have power to it. And that's obviously what asking for a friend has. It, it has this personal story that people can relate to and i i think that's that's very profound you need that you need that is there a is there a part you'd like to play do do you look out and go hmm i'd like to be in a marvel comics um, (laughs) movie
1: (laughs) i'd love to be a superhero but i just don't think i've got the knees for it anymore um but there's a book that's uh just come out uh, with, with the same publisher as me it's called the jigsaw man and it's by an author called Nadine Matheson. And she is a solicitor and she wrote this book about this black uh, detective inspector who's, in, uh, who's investigating this series of murders, uh, body parts showing up all over South London. And as soon as I heard about it, like it wasn't even the book, wasn't even out. I was just like, that's my job. I want that. Jo- Universe, did you hear that? I want that job because it was it was a, it was a character we've not seen before on TV. You know, yeah, this... that's
0: lovely, isn't it? That's great. That
1: exactly. She's troubled. She's brilliant. She's you know in all the ways that we've seen time and time again the same the same character, but played by grizzly white guys. You know what I mean? It's the sort of part that like James Nesbit or Ken Stott will get, but and someone like got me would. Problems wouldn't. at
0: home, haven't they? They've yeah, yeah got, she, oh, she's got problems. <laughs> oh no, we've got another detective whose family's broken up because he works too much. Please, can yeah. we write something else in a script?
1: <laughs> just a really happy detective who just like who does nine to five, <laughs> hangs up his like detectiveing detective badge at the end of the day. No, she's got trouble at home as well. But but it, you know what's fresh about it is her authenticity because she's obviously a south london woman born and raised there and so that's a very big part of the story as well and uh yeah just like just something new and exciting so that's the kind of thing that really gets me excited otherwise yes also i would love to play um a role in uh, asking for a friend if that were ever to be turned into well, a tv series there you or go film. why
0: not <laughs> but, but but on the detective one would you write something
1: do you know, I it's funny because my agent tells me off about this, uh, not so much now, but before I used to not do that. I used to just think, I just want to write a good story. And she's like, where's the character in here that you would play? It's like, I'm not thinking like that. I'm thinking, let me just tell a good story. But actually the smart person, the business woman side of the, um, uh, you know, artist that I am should be thinking like that. But I, I don't so often.
0: I think you should sacrifice yourself. And I think the authenticity <laughs> of that would make, a great great part for you and i think you should i think i definitely think you should write it
1: i'm on it (laughs) you
0: get please can we if there's something that's come out of this podcast it's i'm gonna i'm gonna stop saying that i'm gonna sacrifice time i'm gonna write that um what have you missed in lockdown by the way i mean it's a kind i know it's a sort of like oh blimey i've missed friends or
1: um gosh there isn't a lot that i've missed if i'm perfectly honest i've 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 had a lovely lockdown, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> obviously, <laughs> I wouldn't want people losing their livelihoods. You and six that... other
0: people. I-, I should introduce you to them. <laughs> I-,
1: I don't know, you know, because the-, the things... i tell you what I've appreciated in the lockdown. I've appreciated the quiet. I've appreciated mm. um, people slowing down. Uh, uh, you know, not obviously not everybody. Some people are working flat out and some people are busier than ever. Um, some people are not enjoying the slow pace. But what I... For example, I've started walking... And uh I mean I've I've been able to do it for like a long time now, but as in going for a walk, you know, so I've and I really enjoy seeing other people out doing that, families spending time together like that, where normally they'd all be spread out disparate, going off and doing their own things. Now they're walking, just walking. Nowhere to go in particular as a family. And I I've just got my bike serviced, which has been literally sat doing nothing for about eight years. I thought I thought I was just gonna I thought it was gonna crumble into dust when I took it into the bike shop and he was like, No, just need some new gears and this and that. And I've been going out on that and just finding that thank you, um, London Council, like because or London whatever mayor, because there's bike lanes everywhere. So it's super safe. It's really it's just a lovely way to experience being outdoors.
0: So Well, that's a lovely positive message rather than what have I missed. Um
1: yeah, sorry, it's not. I, I've I, got out. No, no, I'm one of the it. six who who is who is kind <laughs> of liking it. We'll I'm, find
0: the other five. Yeah. And, uh, and and get you together. <laughs> uh, we ask you to bring uh, a quote or a poem in about sacrifice. Have mm. you have you been able to do that? Would you like to?
1: I can send it to you. So basically, oh, well, you say it. I was, oh, well, oh, wait, oh, yeah. Um, I thought you wanted a copy of it. As no, we, no. We I, we, this is just sound, isn't it? It's a podcast. Yes, it is a podcast. <laughs> Here, look at this, listeners. Um,
0: <laughs> Use your oh, imagination. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'll
1: just read it. So, so I was just, I spend quite a bit of time on Instagram, like uh, a lot of folks. And um, I just saw this and I just thought it, re- I, it really chimed. So it says, um, taking no risk is the biggest risk. You have to risk failure to succeed. You have to risk rejection to be accepted. You have to risk heartache to love. If you're always avoiding risk, you're risking missing out on life.
0: Wow. I and think that's, that's fabulous, Andy. That's a great message. And it goes back to that question very early on we talked about, is, is if you feel you know, you want to make something of your life and you're not in a great position to be able to have money or friends to push you forward, then you've got to risk. And, and without risk, there is no reward. What a,
1: that's, a, that's, a,
0: that's a lovely, lovely message. It's been uh, an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um,
1: oh, Likewise. Thank you so much for inviting me onto the great podcast. Great
0: success with all the things that you've done. Where can we find you uh, online?
1: So, um, I spend a lot of time on Instagram. So that's the Andy O Show with a W on the end. But I've also got a podcast about creativity called Creative Source with Andy Osho. So that comes out every Tuesday and it's basically a show about creativity for the creative in all of us. Thanks. Thanks a million. Oh thank Andy you. Andy Osho, thank you very much.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Sacrifice and Success a podcast brought to you by Electric Glue, an independent media agency that believes to succeed in the complex media landscape you need to sacrifice. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. Next month, we'll be talking to Sophie Birdwood, artist and painter, about the sacrifices she's made to be where she is today. Until then, goodbye and good luck. This podcast was created by Soho Radio Studios.